Ashley Banfield here, and this is Rising Tide, the place where I bring some of the greatest mentor minds to you. If you care about your craft and you want to be better at what you do, I want to help you with that. You know, it's easy to assume that you need an Ivy League education to really make it big. But each month, I feature VIP mentors who are leaders in their industry, and they say, that's not true. They're going to prove to you that you don't have to have highbrow connections to create your own personal best. And they've agreed to share their tips, their secrets, and their career advice with you. This is Rising Tide. Donnie Deutsch is here today. I can't even tell you how much I adore Donnie Deutsch. And before I ever knew Donnie Deutsch and saw him on TV, first thing I thought was, that guy has it all. That guy knows how to land it on camera. And there's a lot to be, you know, uh, learned about that. It's not easy. For some people, it's very natural. Uh, for other people, you got to work at it. And even for the people who, for whom it's natural, you got to work at it. Let me give you a bit of a background on Donnie. Um, he's, of course, a leading voice in media and business. He's also an innovative political analyst and a brand maven. He currently hosts his own podcast, On Brand, with Donnie Deutsch. He sits down with the biggest names in politics, business, entertainment, discussing personal brands, and, of course, the latest news. Um, he's a familiar and outspoken political analyst on MSNBC, um, mostly on Morning Joe's, where I see you in Deadline White House, but I know you appear on all of the shows. Um, you became, of course, a household name for so many people with the big idea with Donny Deutsch. That was on CNBC. You've written two books, Donny. Um, I love the titles. Just love them. They're motivational business books. Often wrong, never in doubt love it. And then the second one, the big idea, how to make your entrepreneurial dreams come true from the aha moment to your first million. Uh, Donnie is the graduate of Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He serves on the uh, board of directors of the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Welcome, Donnie Deutsch. It's so good to have Ash, you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for a very kind introduction. Well, listen, it's uh, it's all true. Uh, you somehow have that je ne sais quoi. You get it. The minute you're on camera, kind of everything stops. And that's not the same for lots of people who are successful on television, but it is a magic uh, bullet. How, is it just you? Have you always been like that or did you hone it in some way? You know, I, I think it's just authenticity. Uh, it's just kind of being who I am. I've always, I've never, sh you know, I've never shied away from the spotlight. I enjoy it. I get turned on. I, I think most people who are on camera and who are effective with what they're doing are enjoying it. If they, you don't love being there, then that's going to show. I think, my enthusiasm and my uh, passion for what I do and what I believe I think comes across on camera. And I think that's the secret. I couldn't agree more if you love it. And, and I'm, a, I'm guessing here that when you were a kid, you were that kid, right? You were on stage, you were out front, you were like, I got the answer to that. I, yeah, I was, I was kind of a leader. I was president of my senior class in high school and, and I didn't do a lot of theater or performance or anything like that, but I, I, I always liked being kind of in the center of things. And, and um, I think that hasn't changed. It really hasn't. It's a, it's a magic that is very, very valuable for people in our business. Let me get right to our, our, uh, questions from everybody in the Zoom and welcome everybody. Thank you for sending the questions in. There's some really good ones. Let me start with uh, Kathy from New Jersey. Um, you have never veered from your larger than life Queens, New York guy brand. Did you ever have a moment of self-doubt about it where you felt like you might have to pull back some of that personality to fit into a mold? You know, I you always have doubt. You know, we all have doubt. We, you know, we're never, but it's, I've just always been myself. 
and I, in business and when I was running my advertising agency, um, I, you know, I kind of, my personality kind of became what the agency's personality was kind of aggressive out front, uh, ambitious, fun, loud, uh, sometimes controversial, a lot of moxie. And it's just kind of, I've stayed true to who I am. And I, I think in any, with any brand and we're all brands, if you will, you know, you just, you have to be who you are. So it, that, and I keep coming back to the same thing. I remember um, before I started doing television, Michael J. Fox, who's become a dear friend of mine, said to me, the advice he gave, and I just mentioned this, was be who you are, because they're going to tell if you're not. You know, I mean, let, just let it show who you are. So I've just kind of always been true to myself and, and believed in myself. And that doesn't mean I don't doubt myself sometimes. We all do. And that's okay also. Okay, how'd you get over that doubt? Because I think a lot of us go through that, right? We're, we think we're being authentic. We think we're offering our personal brand. And then we think, oh, God. Is this personal brand garbage? <laughs> you know, no, you know what I really, when I, I've met a lot of, through both my advertising career and my media career, uh, very important people, very bright people, heads of state, the brightest, you know, CEOs in the world, the, bright, the brightest, you know, biggest person, you know, celebrities. And there are no geniuses out there. And once you realize that your opinion is as good as anybody else's, that nobody has a magic formula. I think there are two people I've met in my life that I went, wow, they have something going on that I've never seen any bills. I don't. One was Bill Gates. One was Bill Clinton. After that, everybody else is kind of like, okay, kind of smart. So am I. Big deal. Let it rip. And Ashley, you know this. And you know the, the people, all the experts, quote unquote, on TV and the pundits. It's like they're just saying it. They don't have a man. They don't. Nobody has this genius. Nobody has a magic bullet or a magic formula that knows. It's just some people believe in their opinions and they're able to kind of say, well, this is what I believe, and they project that kind of confidence, and that works. You know, I'm so glad you said that. Um, I, I'm just going to say from my from my point of view, and when I got into cable news in particular, because that's when you're really rocking and rolling and you don't have a lot of time to think yeah. things through. That was my biggest doubt. Um, it was that everybody else was smarter than me. And oh God, uh, every time I opened my mouth, I feared I would make a fool of myself and that they would stomp on me. And I think it took a long time to realize what you just said, Donnie. And that is that nobody else out there is any better than you. Generally yeah. speaking, you're right on par. You just think you're not. And the other, the kind of corollary to that, and the thing I've always seen with every uber successful person in media or any other endeavor is they have this kind of naive sense of entitlement of why not me? You know, actually, you would not have gotten to the place that you're at having your own show and, and running the table unless you said, why not me? I can do that. Now, you need the other stuff. You need the drive. You need the, you need the, the, the bright, the wisdom. You need hard work. You need luck. But until you kind of say, hey, I'm going to be the next blank, it doesn't happen. You have to have that kind of why not me mentality. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's such a cocktail and that's a huge, huge ingredient of it without question. Um, this is, <laughs> I love this question so much. Which of your personal mottos would you get tattooed? <laughs> no, I, I, I preempted the question. Why not me? I mean, that's, that's you know, I, that's been kind of the, the thesis of one of my books. And I think that's it. And just why not me? It's like, you have to say, I deserve it. I want it. Uh, you know, they, I, I, it's funny, I've always, people always talk to me about, you know, running for mayor. And until I say, why not? What's to say I got a business? Of course, a businessman can be mayor. And I know how to raise money. And I know how to galvanize people. And I'm very passionate. And I grew up in Queens. And maybe I can be the next mayor of the city. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. But until you say it, it axiomatically cannot happen. Brilliant. No, you're right. Okay, Melissa from New York um, asks this question. What advice would you give to others about pivoting? You seem to pivot a lot with your career. From the big ideas to the drama series to commentating. You know, there's a double-edged sword to that. Too much pivoting is not great. You know, in other words, I, I believe that, you know, the, 
the most successful people in the world find something they're great at. They get self-actualized. They, they get stimulation from the outside world. They, they create wealth. They do all these great things. And you keep doing it, keep doing it, and that's success. There's also another kind of success where you kind of create new mountains. And I, one of the reasons I've pivoted a lot is, I like I sold my company because I was like, I felt like I won this deal. I wanted to kind of create or try another mountain, the challenge another mountain. So too much pivoting, you kind of lose your core competency. But with all my pivoting, I've stayed true to who I am and what I believe. And it all still comes to the world of somewhat of branding and, and that essence, if you will. And that's kind of where, so I pivoted, but I've stayed true to my core competence also. So with all those, you know, those um, strong convictions and confidences, this is another really good question from Melissa. She asked, if you could tell your younger self something about business, and I'm going to expand that to business, television, just career. If you could tell your younger self something about career and growth and success, what would it be? Um, don't get hot too high of highs. Don't get too low and lows. Um, you know, you're never quite as good as you think you are, and you're never as bad as you think you are in any instance. Um, just, you know, stay true to who you are. There are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. Don't be afraid of failure. Get back up. You know, just, you see your knees. Everybody, every uber successful person I've already talked to, you, you learn from your failures. Failures is what makes us who we are. So embrace them and just keep going. Yeah, it's sort of a variation of that theme. I remember someone telling me a long time ago, uh, believe half of the good stuff people say about you and half of the bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> It'll bring your anxiety peaks uh, to be less yeah. ridiculous, that's for sure. Um, okay, so Chris from Atlanta says, uh, you're a branding marketing expert. What are the two or three things that everybody can do right now to help their personal brand? And while building your brand, how do you avoid being pigeonholed? Is there a way to build brand, but still leave yourself open to new things? A big collection of really good questions there. Yeah. Uh, as far as your brand, I go back to something I said earlier. Be on this, a brand is a value system. So if you really first decide, what do you stand for? What do you believe? I mean, any brand, whether it's Nike or whether it's uh, Madonna, or they're a set of values. They stand for something. And you think about Madonna. What's so smart about her is she's always been cutting edge sexuality, but she evolves it. But she stays true to who it was. Nike is also about self-empowerment and it articulates in different ways. So be something that's both truthful, that has enough of a banner around it that you can kind of uh, evolve it and move in different directions, um, but authentic, something that's malleable, something that's real, and something that can evolve. And I think those are the important things. And But write it down. A brand, first start with, I would say, a paragraph. Was, what do I believe? Who am I? What do I stand for? And that's what a brand is. So if you're in the news business, so many people will will shun the idea of being a brand. For the longest time in this business, we were told, you're not the story. Do not make yourself fade into the background. Get the facts out there. I personally did not agree with that in television mm -hmm. because television is a communication medium. And to communicate, you've got to get people to want you, love you, believe in you, and come back to you. So yes. it's a bit of a hard balance there. Yeah. You know, look, I, I think... There's a lot of ways to go, particularly in the news business. And we, we there's a lot of discussion always about personality versus straight news. And, and actually, I've always been with you. And I think if you look at the most successful people, at least on camera in news, they do bring something to the table beyond just the news. You know, we, we all have this. You know, we can all kind of get our news every day. And more than ever, and it shows in the numbers and it shows everything, is that when you bring a little extra flavor to the table, whatever that is, and whether it's that 
extra level of trust, that extra level of empathy, that extra level of humor, that extra level of, of uh, reverence, whatever it is, that's okay. But I keep coming back to the same thing. You have to be yourself. That's the most important thing. So if you're somebody that just your personality is, I want to do it straight. And I, I don't want to, like, to me, that I think my strength is just my credibility and I'm not going to bring anything other than just delivering the news, then that's great. If you, as a person, want to bring something else and believe you bring something else, and there should be something else brought, then do that. You do you. I think that's the most important thing. Well, in, you know, in that same vein, there are a lot of really good journalists mm -hmm. uh, who are in the television. Some of them start out on camera. Some of them start out as producers, writers, etc. How do you analyze yourself, honestly, to determine if you have what it takes to be a success on camera? Because sometimes we're a little bit boring. I like to say, yes, Canadians are boring. I might have stood mm -hmm. out. I don't know that I'm that boring. But generally speaking, there are a lot of people who are forgettable on television. And it might be because that's true to who they are. It might be because they're fearful of putting too much out there. But how do you really give yourself a deep dive to know if you're, if you've got what it takes in the personality department to be authentic and still make it? I think it's a little bit of a do pop in life also. You know, I mean, if you're somebody in a room that's going to stand out and be able to garner attention and, and have people lean in, I mean, that's a very overused term, that's going to probably work on air. I don't think there's, there's nothing, I think, magical that happens, you know, through the broadcast pipes of the world or the cable pipes, or the streaming pipes of the world. I, I think the camera doesn't lie. We say that often. And I think that if you're somebody that can stand up in front of a room and you're somebody that, a big key is if you like public speaking. You know, there, most people on camera are also good public speakers. And most good public speakers are good on camera. So the best way to check it out, if you're somebody that, doesn't feel comfortable standing up in front of a room of people and don't hold people's attention when you do that, that's probably not going to translate with the camera. And also if you're somebody that in a one-on-one -on -one conversation doesn't really hold people's attention. So are you that person? Not everybody belongs in front of the camera and not everybody is good behind the camera or in front of the camera, but I think it starts with, are you somebody that is comfortable right now getting up in front of 15 coworkers or 15 classmates or whatever it is, and can you hold their attention? And do you want to do that? A lot of it is I always love public speaking. I love getting up in front of a room with a thousand people. I, it doesn't scare me. It's people's biggest phobia. So surely if you're not afraid or you enjoy or you're passionate about speaking in front of a group of people, you're going to be passionate and that's going to translate to an infinite group of people that happens in mass media. And if you're not interested in on-air, but you are interested in leadership, in and, and I'll just say broadcasting because the majority of our people on the Zoom are in our business. But if you're just interested in being a great leader in this business or a great producer that motivates your team and your anchor and your reporters and your writers, et cetera, do you have to have that? that big personality as no, well? Absolutely not. absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, uh, behind, you know, somebody who is a producer, somebody who's a researcher, somebody who's an executive, you know, I think the chief executive has to have a lot of that, frankly, but there are brilliant producers out there, there are brilliant executives out there who are not, the majority, who are not bigger than life personalities, who don't have that on-care, that on-camera person. I don't want it, frankly, you know? So, they you know, on camera is such a small part of this industry, but I think the key is passion. So if you're a journalist and you like believe in what you're doing, you believe in telling the story, and that's all it's about, and you're gonna you're gonna be successful. But that's it's an overused thing. But if you 
believe and love in what you're doing, most things will take care of themselves. Okay. Um, Linnea from Chicago asks, it's a bit of a variation, but it's, I like this little deeper dive that she's asking. It's how can journalists and broadcasters set themselves apart from the competition while also staying authentic? And then here's the key, avoiding being salacious, like going over the top in order to make that brand. Yeah. You can't look too thirsty and you can't look like you're trying too hard. And we keep coming back to this authentic word. You know, you, I think what works for you, Ashley, on camera is that you are a little different and you've always been a little different. Um, and I, I, I always thought it was interesting with you. It was, a, a, it was not significant, but your glasses early on, you know, I mean, you, you didn't see a lot of broadcasters. Now that's not going to make the difference, but that was symbolic of somebody that like, I don't have to fit a mold. You know, I don't have to look like it. I don't have to look like the anchor's supposed to look. You know, guess what? I have glasses and they're kind of cool and it added to your kind of mystique, if you will. Now, you, that was one hundredth of what percent of what you are and were. But it, be different, but be real and don't look like you're trying. You know, I mean, it, it is. And if you think if you think about whether it's from the entertainment business or the, or the news business, the people that are different, they're different, but they're real and who you are. And just... You can't act in it. You can't make it up. You know, it's just, it's, it's got to be here. Yeah. You know why I don't wear glasses anymore? Why? Because that's now the cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when you first came on the scene, it just you caught my attention. That was just a little thing that kind of made you stand out. And that's a good thing. I love that you liked it, but I'm not going to lie. In the 90s, I was told by two very prominent, well, one very prominent boss and the other one, a very powerful boss to take those goddamn glasses off. They're distracting. You know, I, I think it, it made an issue made you pop. And obviously you, you yeah. brought too much more than that. But so that that I, I would not be one of those executives. I promise you. I agree. Um, and I didn't take them off. I The one person I uh, had to take them off was an NBC executive. And I had to take them off during part of the coverage. And then for the rest of the coverage, I put them back on. Good I, I, I could predict who that NBC executive is, but we won't get into it. <laughs> you know, I think you'll be shocked. It was Dick Eversall. Really? Yes. That, that doesn't shock me. You know, Dick, that actually doesn't shock me. I had, I was going to say Andy Lack, but I, I think that it was like... Andy loved my glasses. Okay. Because so, I usually think he's wrong just about everything. But I mean, it's, it, it <laughs> is... Loved him. But Dick is... Well, Dick was old school. So Dick, yeah. I, I think there might have even been a little... And I, I like Dick a lot. There could have been a little sexism in that. You know what I mean? And, and I think it, so. Honestly, know? I was doing Olympics, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. all the guys in NBC were wearing glasses, but yeah. I was forbidden from wearing them during the NBC Olympics coverage, but all the MSNBC Olympics coverage. That's I wore so my glasses. interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I also don't wear glasses because I had my eyeballs taken out and put back there in. And, so okay. there's a whole reason I also. Okay. Uh, this next question is, I, I really like this one too. Um, Great questions, one, by the way. Great questions. Aren't they terrific? This one's yeah. Chris from Atlanta. If you were starting out now in 2022 with the same skills and the same resources, would you do everything the same way? I don't know. It's interesting. And in, in, in your introduction, also one of the questions, talk about pivoting. I've done a lot of different things. One thing I question, I built this very successful advertising agency. And I was great at it. I sold it at a very young age. And it's still around and it's still flourishing. It's, it's called Deutsch. It's an amazing ad agency. And had I not done it, I wouldn't have had this next career. But I often question, what if I stayed that course? How big would it have been? And would I have been a a different kind of, I would have not been in media. I would have been still kind of a, a 
captive industry, whatever you want to call it. So I, I kind of question that. We can go on these paths and we make and different doors open and close. So that's just a very human kind of thing. I kind of, what would my life have looked like had I not sold my company at a young age? And clearly I would have missed out on all the media things I've done, but how would I have grown as a human and a businessman going from a thousand people to 10,000 people? And I'll, I'll never know that answer. You know, it's interesting that you, uh, Chris had also asked, and I'm going to look for the actual question so I don't botch it. Yeah, here it is. Uh, it, it has to do with that. Um, your dad was in the, the industry before you, I think in 89, you took it over, right? So I'm guessing he was a, a mentor of yours because- yes. yeah, why very wouldn't? Much. Very exactly. Much. So Chris's great question is, um, is it better to have a mentor that you are close to, like your dad, or is it better to have somebody very dispassionate, you know, someone who can give you the hard truths? Well, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. I would, I would argue that they're kind of, they come from the same place. I think that somebody who you're close to is the person that gives you the hard truths. And I, I think, like, my dad fired me at one point, you know, I mean, I was fucking up. What? And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I kind of got my act straight after that. So, no, I think it's certainly someone that, you, that you're close to. Because a mentor, a true mentor, even if it's somebody like your father that, you, that loves you and you love them, they're gonna want. They're gonna come from a place of empathy, and they'll they'll give you the straight truth when you need it. Um, but most great mentors, there is a there's a real human relationship at the same time, also because that's that's kind of what comes with mentoring, if you will. Yeah, it's, I I want to hear more about that dad firing you. How'd that go? You know, I was early on. I was in my early twenties. I, I wasn't taking it seriously, and you know, I and he just said, "Go do something else. If you're not going to bring it all to this, so I don't want you here." And and that was a great wake up call. So, you, was that it? I mean, did he let you back in, or? Yeah, I mean, I kind of drifted for a few months, and I said, "Let me. I'm going to make some changes," and it it just organically happened. Amazing. That's a good dad. I, I agree with. I had, I had the best dad. This is every day. So this is a really good uh, question. Uh, I think this one's from Kathy, although my pages are a bit mixed up. I, I think this is so on point for right now where we are. Do you think that the shift to work from home is going to hold a lot of people back, uh, especially with, re with, re with regard to being seen, being heard in the workplace, getting that promotion, et cetera? I think there's a yes, lot to be said I, about I, I feel very strong about this, and I've talked a lot about this on the air on my podcast. I think people not being in the workplace is really detrimental, particularly for young people. I, I mean, as you can think back, this is where we learn, this is where the sense of community and the connection, and this is where you you you, you see your, your bosses and your mentors. And I, I, if I was still running a company today, everybody would be back to work, right? You know, my, my, my motto, and I, one of the heads of the bank said this, if you're well enough to go back to, if you feel comfortable going to a restaurant, you can come back to work. And I think young people are suffering tremendously. Their growth is being stunted. Um, I, I think it's, I, 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 I think back to how much, particularly in, any, in a creative business, in a new news business, how much happens from the electricity of the connection of the people that doesn't happen in boxes like this. It just doesn't. I don't care what anybody says. You can show me any research. I'm going to poo-poo it. That people need to be together, creating, bouncing off each other. And I think particularly young people are missing out a lot. So if it's ever a question, go to the office, don't go to the office, you know, put, take your pajama bottoms off and get to the office, you know? <laughs> if, if you can find clothes that fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing I used to call uh, hallway productions. I, I always found that so much innovative, creative, um, you know, information, concept, content came from going to the, you know, on the way to the bathroom and back. 100%. 100%. Me, I, used to call, I used to call it managed by walking around. Uh, and as you said, meetings in the hallway and 
That's where it happens. That, that's, that's where it happens. It's not this formalized, okay, we've got a Zoom from 7 to 8. Yes, we, when you're in the office, you go to meetings, but the meetings never stop. They roll into other things. And, and, and the, the human connection is a, creates a secret sauce that is not happening without it. Yeah, and we've all known for years, if you have a, a, a office closer to the bosses, you just have, you know, better presence. And presence is like 50% of the battle on um, having influence. Yeah, showing up. So I, I, and I believe, and they've done, they've done studies about this that recently that bosses are looking at people differently who show up. I mean, it's just common sense. In other words, if, I'm, if I was walking the halls, I would notice who's in their desk, who's not in their desk. Even though they don't have to be there. They go in that extra yard. They want that connection. They want to embrace the workplace um, in a meaningful way. And uh, the same way, no different than even when no jobs really nine to five anymore. The workers that were there longer hours for all the obvious reasons. They were being able to get the attention of the boss. You were being more productive. You were not doing just just what was required. You were willing to do more. So the same math exists now. If you have an option of working from home, going to the office, go to the office. I agree. Uh, you know. Let me give you a variation on that question because still a lot of stuff is done by Zoom. And I always ask my group, please turn your cameras on. I remember being in a group before and being asked by a boss, please turn your cameras on. I thought, oh God, I look awful. But but I, what can you tell me about the effect of that, that, that you're all actually in the room together, even though you're not? I mean, it's the day it, it we, we, we have all, we're living in a visual world and we, we, that's where we connect. And it is a, I mean, just use your common sense. What's the difference between having 10 key people on the screen and seeing their eyes versus just a screen and just hearing, you know, what's the difference between the power of TV versus the power of radio? Um, it, it, you're bringing an entire sensibility to the equation. You see reactions and you, 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 you're attentive more. It's just, I think that one, that one's kind of a no brainer. What is the next big shift in social media? TikTok uh, video platform took the world by storm. What do you think the next shift is? Well, it's it, it's artificial intelligence and, and the metaverse. And that's basically where you're there. You're, there's social media, but there's you're creating these kind of social environments where you're playing, where there's games and there's realities. And there's a, a, I'm a little old school in that. Yes. With all of the progression of social media and whatnot, there's a lot of things that are being lost, if you will, uh, that are, are, I think sometimes we don't have to, people don't have to connect as humans as much anymore, uh, whether it's being able to meet people online or communicate online. And, and, and some of the human contact is going away. Yes, there's so much more connection that happens in other ways. And um, I think social media is so detrimental in so many ways. I mean, I'm raising children and it's obvious all of the detriments in this creation everybody's perfect world that we we create that we curate online and then it, it you know there's a double-edged sword here there really really is but the next thing is the metaverse and is is artificial intelligence meets social media meets uh media meets entertainment meets news meets information and creating these alternative worlds so for this audience should we be determining how news integrates with the metaverse, meaning should there be a network that exists in the metaverse alone? There will be. I guess, I guess there will be. I guess there will be, you know. Uh, not my area of expertise, you know. I'm not a techno geek kind of thing. But if follow the eyeballs, you know. I mean, if that, the same way we're already seeing advertisers, you know, 
McDonald's setting up, you know, virtual McDonald's in the middle in the universe. So why why would we have virtual news sites that we will? Because that's the thing I can't understand how that could be successful. Getting a burger in the metaverse just ain't the same. <laughs> I mean, I, I, something tells me I, I kind of feel the same. You, Ashley, you and I were old school that way, you know. <laughs> really old school. I'm not going to part with my money unless I can have it drip on my lap. Okay, uh, Dave from Miami says you and Donald Trump both from uh, Queens, both from successful families, both went to Wharton, both worked on The Apprentice. I don't know what your relationship is with them now, but how do you navigate business relationships or just say any relationships when politics can actually overshadow or seep in? Well, perfect example of Trump and my relationship. Trump and I used to be friendly. Friendly as friendly as you can be with him. You know, we, we I lived in one of his buildings. You mentioned the connections. We did a lot of charity stuff. And then... I, you know, I've become a tremendously outspoken uh, person against him. I, I think he's the most dangerous thing that's happened to our uh, political universe uh, in my lifetime. Uh, we are looking at the precipice. Of, forget the issues, just the basic precipice that we're on as far as the fundamentals of democracy. Um, I think he's an autocrat. I don't know where your audience is politically, but, you know, uh, he's an autocrat in every sense of the word and everything that is detrimental with an autocrat. So, and obviously we, we stopped being friendly. I mean, at that point, I mean, he used to tweet nasty things about me. And, and so in his world and today, politics is a real lightning rod in interpersonal relationships. And really because of Donald Trump more than ever. Uh, and because what he did, look, he shined a light. He didn't create the division in this country, he just heightened it and shone a light on a lot of uh, uh, racism and, and hate uh, and uh, ignorance that exists in this country. And so politics and friendships don't always go together in this, in this day and age. And so you just have to be okay with that? Just got to shut them off? No, you don't shut them off. I think it does. I think more than ever, it is. it does affect things today. And, you know, they've done studies that in dating services that have more than ever Political affiliation is a kind of a, a major hurdle. You know, a lot of people will say that if you, okay, if you like Trump or you don't like Trump, then I want nothing to do with you. And Trump has become now a shorthand for, I think, a lot of just overarching way of looking at the world. Trump is it's more Trumpism than Trump at this point. Um, but uh, it, I think that is a great divider right now. It really, really is, unfortunately. And we all know that. I think that'll change in time. I think we're living through a moment. And I think what will happen is that, um, once again, this is politics aside, I think Trump will be continue to be a losing formula for the Republicans. I think he's just lost that middle ground that you need to run up, win on either side, the independents, the suburban rights. And I think eventually the Republicans will move back a bit more to the center, even though that's not where the base is, because they won't win general elections without it. I think we'll kind of swing back a little bit towards this. Makes me wonder when you said about the dating services, it, it, I could see that. And then I think about George and Kelly Conway. Uh, we've got the Margaret and John Avalon, uh, Margaret Hoover, John Avalon, and, uh, you know, the, the political couples from both sides of the aisle. Um, that's what we're forgetting, wait. Uh, Carville. You know, James Carville and, and, and Mary Agdala. Uh, yeah, they, they, that's always been a delightful sort of, um, you know, entertaining kind of way to analyze politics when you have these married couples. But I, I still, I'm always curious about, George and Kelly, because I don't. Well, I think George and split. Kelly split up eventually. Didn't I? I think they're split now, aren't they? I could be wrong. I don't, I, did they split? I don't think they did. They split split. I know that they had some issues. Okay, like I don't know if they. We should, I don't know if I get that. Look, that you know, that's kind of a fun shtick, and that's a thing. And then yeah. they probably, and each one of them, and Kelly, they probably play a little bit more of a character on TV than they really are. I mean, I have we've seen we've seen Kelly Conway a lot of things that she said about the president. You know, since he's been president, and 
Uh, so, you know, maybe the disparity is not as great as we see in the, in the echo chamber of the media. So, you know, I think behind the scenes, they're probably not as divergent. Just like, you know, my views on TV, I, I'm asked and I tend to take the more extreme view. I'm a moderate, you know, I'm conservative in many, many ways. You know, I'm just a big anti-Trumper. But I, my views, I don't line up with a lot of what people say on MSNBC. Both sides. I think both sides are too extreme at this point. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, ra- I'm a radical centrist. <laughs> I love that. Okay, um, we're probably running out of time, so I've tr- just probably time for one more question. I do like this one. Um, this is from Chris. Let me see real quickly. Yeah, this is Chris in Atlanta. What skills, talents, or competencies do you have that you're most proud of? What are some of the things you wish you were better at? Um, flip side of the coin, I think the thing I'm most proud of is my empathy. My, I, I may be a great leader in business. Um, and I think it's made me a, 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 a successful television personality in that my care and my love of people is real and genuine shows. Sometimes we're running a business that got in my way because maybe I was too loyal. And sometimes you have to be a little more dispassionate, a little less empathetic, if you will. So I think the same, the, the same attribute has worked for and against me much more for, and I wouldn't be anything else. And that's who I am. But I think my, my empathy overall is my biggest, is my biggest strength. And what about what do you wish you were better at? Um, I wish I had a better uh, attention span. Uh, I wish I had more patience. Uh, I As I'm getting older now, when I'm old, uh, I think just uh, patience. Uh, and I've always been very impatient, always been trying to get there fast. And that has certain great attributes, but certain negative things come with it also. I said it was the last question, but I do want to follow up because your colleague, Mika Brzezinski, when she was on the series, it was so fantastic. She said, especially for women, we have a lot longer of a runway now. Yes. So hold it. Be patient. Don't be a jackrabbit at the beginning of your career. Step on, step off, do what you need. Yeah, good example. I had a, I got the Saturday Night Show on MSNBC a few years back, and I went really hard. I mean, I was going at Trump in ways that nobody was doing at the time, doing a lot of Calling the fascist, it was before some, and because I wanted it to be successful, and it was wildly successful from a numbers point of view. The ratings have gone up and up and up, but they took it off the air because I think I was creating too much havoc, and and the network didn't want to go that far. And I was, had I slowed it a little bit, I would have gotten there and be able to do the things I wanted to do, and that kind of would have been. They wouldn't be able to take me off the air because it was on three months in when I did this. Had I slowed it and gotten there a year later, maybe would have been a different place. And that's an example of where I learned the lesson. Ah, oh, the old thing, right? Patience, grasshopper. Yeah. It's hard when you're young, especially. It is hard, especially. Oh, period. Period. And now, Donnie, imagine all the people on the Zoom right now who are looking at it's not just TV that I'm dif- trying to differentiate. Then cable came along, and now social media—they're in a sea, trying to break through a sea. Yeah. of brands out there and and you're being told well, don't be a jackrabbit about it yeah what do they yeah. do i hear you well stay true but always kind of look at your environment and look at you know sometimes making too much noise too fast is, is not a good thing um and but once again wrapping up be true to yourself believe in yourself go for it there are no geniuses out there it's okay to fail just keep getting back up believe in yourself and make sure you're having fun doing what you do. Also, it's only it's only television. It's only news. So we're not curing cancer. Some people are curing cancer on TV, but we're not. So you know, 
Yeah, I usually say that. It's okay, guys. It's just TV. Nobody dies. Yeah. But I feel it. I feel that the stress is too. Donnie, thank you so much for this. Thanks for having me. And I hope, I hope I was helpful to anybody out there. Just everybody, thanks for listening. really appreciate it. Don't forget, you can watch me every night on News Nation at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, and 7 p.m. on the West Coast. Don't know where to watch us? Just go to www.joinnn.com. Enter your zip code, and the channel finder will show you where you can find us on your broadcast dial. But don't forget, we're also on all the streamers, Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV. This is Ashley Banfield, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of Rising Tide. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.